God damn it, really? Hey, everybody, welcome to I'm Okay, You're Okay, I'm Not Okay, You're Not Okay. With me, Bob Schneider, and your other host, Clint Wells. You're welcome. Yeah, you look in the mirror, it's a monster. You look at your dog, it's a monster. You look at a lawn, it's a monster. You look at a car, it's a monster. You look at the sea, it's a monster. And then a minute later, you're like, oh no, it's the sea. Oh, wait, I'm in a hotel bathroom looking into the mirror forever. Wait. Oh, shit. What time is it? Oh, no. Had an appointment. I forgot. Did you ever watch The Twilight Zone? Yeah. There's the famous episode, right, where I don't want to get it wrong, but it's super famous where this person gets some sort of cosmetic surgery. And at the end of the episode, it shows the chick and she's got this beautiful face, but all the doctors are horrified because they all look like monsters. And she doesn't, she looks what we consider to be beautiful, but she's a monster to them. Oh, right. Remember that? Right. That's about me and you. (laughs) That was written about you and I. I think, no, no. No? I'm just saying, if you look at something and you don't know what it is, everything's a monster. Like a newborn baby looks at everything and it's like, oh, that's a monster. But then you find out, oh, no, that's a bottle with milk. And then you go, hmm delicious i feel like part of life though is assuming everything is nice like a baby's like oh what's this a a blazing hot pan maybe this is a cool blazing hot pan friend and you have to touch the blazing hot pan you realize oh no the world is cruel yeah but that's like when you're one when you know everything already right i'm talking about when you don't know anything when you don't know anything you're just like everything is a monster right but then you're like, oh, no, that's mama. That's daddy. Well, welcome to I'm okay. You're okay. I'm not okay. You're not okay. Here we are. I'm not your mama. I'm not your daddy. I am your I am your daddy. I am your mama. Well, we're going to start off this week's roller coaster episode by, first of all, thanking a new patron, Jim Dalton. Jim, thank you for deciding, for going to patreon.com slash the letters I okay and thinking to yourself, I get a lot of value out of this podcast and I'm going to put my money where my butt is. And support it. Here's what Jim Dalton did. All right. He said, you know what? I'm going to spend my money in the way that I know I'm going to get the most bang for my buck. Because what he's doing is he's making the world better. But not just by thinking about making the world better, but by actually making the world better by giving us his money. Which is pretty different. Pretty big difference. Dude, you can think about doing things like making the world better all day long, guess what you don't get? A better world. You don't get a better world and you don't get results. And you're like, at the end of the day, you're like, why am I so unhappy? Jim Dalton's going to be going to sleep tonight going, oh, I'm real happy. And he's not even going to know why. Actually, he is because I'm telling him. Well, he won't know why until he hears this episode, right? Right. Then when he hears this episode, he'll be like, I was wondering why I was going to bed so happy. Right. Because I decided to sign up and become a Patreon at I'm okay, you're okay. So look, don't not be like Jim Dalton. Be like Jim Dalton. Be like Jim Dalton and be as happy as Jim Dalton or don't. It's your life. It is your life. Be happy or don't or don't be happy. Right. It's easy to be happy. All you do is go to patreon.com backslash IOK, sign up, give us your money, and you'll be happy. Now, no one's ever heard this phrase before, but I, I thought of it during my happy life this morning in the shower, and it goes a little something like this. One might confuse it for a poem, but I'll just say it like this. Wait, hold up. Before you start, mm-hmm. can I say one thing? Sure. Thank you. 
You're welcome. Now listen, here it goes. Turn that frown upside down. Turn that frown upside down. That's all it is. Can, can I Can I just add an addendum to your poem? Please. Turn that frown upside down by standing on your head. Turn that frown upside down, then take a trip to Brown Town. <laughs> but, but check this out. You'll be standing on your head and you'll still be frowning, but all the people in your life will be like, oh, look at how happy he looks because it'll, it'll look like a smile. Right. And that's one of the ways you can change the world. <laughs> Until you get on your feet again and then they're like, oh, he's not happy. Uh-uh. Mm-mm. But we're not talking about Jim. No, we're not. We're not talking about Jim Dalton. Jim doesn't need to turn his friend upside down. He needs to. You know what he needs to probably do? What? Turn his smile down a little bit because you're brightening the room too much. I have to put on my sunglasses because you've brightened the room too much with your sweet, sweet smile. This is Jim. this is me and you in a room with Jim Dalton. Ow, e, I, oh, Jim, 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 Jim. Jim. Jim, can can I open my eyes? Have you stopped smiling? Have you turned it down a little bit? Let me know when you've stopped smiling so I can open my face. You know what they call Jim, where he's from? They call him Jim Diamond Smile. The Diamond Smile. Because he smiled like Diamond. DS. <laughs> he, he smiled like Diamond. And then some people, think some people think you're saying he smells like diamonds, which he doesn't. He smiled like Diamond. He we need to get like bracelets diamond. to say JDSJ. All right. <laughs> <laughs> we will now listen here's the another By the way don't yeah. even don't ask me what that stands for because we don't know even though we just made it i up. know what it means i'm just not gonna say it here's the deal we have an email account it's bob and clint at gmail.com many many lovely people write into us every week we have a backlog here we're going to read a few of these you're going to enjoy this question bob and i'm sure our listeners will want to know the answer the subject is bob's acting career i got i have a email music before we yeah let's hear the new email theme music here's the new email theme ready yep (laughs) you got mail let me try one more time that was a little that was quite a little off here we go ready wait so hold on you've got mail the subject is bob's acting career says hey bob and clint as a film student in austin and austinite i've recently been going through bob Beington's movies on Amazon Prime and was pleasantly surprised to see some bit performances from Bob, along with Ollie, Conrad, Plank, and Harmony and Me as the wedding band. After hearing the recent podcast where Bob describes a part in a sci-fi movie he auditioned for as a student in Germany, as well as Bob's other comments about acting, I was impressed that he seemed to be able to act like a normal person. I was wondering what compelled Bob to work with Byington on these films, which he lists as registered sex offender in Harmony and Me, and what the experience was like. Every sort of luck, Pearson. Well, now, Bob was in a movie called Register Sex Offender, of course. He also is a registered sex offender, so we just want to untangle those two things uh, before we get into Bob's answer. So, Bob, I didn't even know you were in these movies. What are these movies? All right, well, first of all, let's start by saying, when you say I am a registered sex offender, Mm -hmm. that means I am absolutely not a registered sex offender. But I was in the movie Registered Sex Offender. The star of that movie... Here's a little, uh, little uh, trivia tidbit for all the uh, movie files out there listening to I'm okay, you're okay. I'm not okay, you're not okay. The star of Registered Sex Offender, who was a man when the movie was made, is now woman. Well, thank you for 
bringing us directly into that minefield of a topic right now. I, I find that very interesting. It, what's weird is that he seemed very agitated always. I knew I knew him outside of the movie. Uh, he I would even say he was a friend of mine, but he was always like on edge. And I'm like, oh, maybe he's not on edge now. I haven't talked to him since he's since she's transitioned. Yeah, it's very important that you do not misgender this person. Uh, I, mean, I mean that sincerely. That is a a big deal in the trans community. And uh, Bob and I, of course, are are pro trans and supportive of all of that stuff. So we just want to be careful not to misspeak. And I'm trying to look at the IMDb now to see was is this Kristen Tucker or Kevin Corrigan? Who who is the person? Gabriel McIver. I don't know her name now. I knew her name back then. Um, looks like Nick Offerman's in the movie. Richard Linklater's in the film. Who? He, oh, look at you on IMDb. You played the Ursats employer. Hello. You know, there's not a picture of you on IMDb. You need to fix that, homie. So check this out. So in that RSO movie, I'm not a good actor, by the way. Let me just put that. Let me just put everybody straight here. Uh, I did an okay job in Harmony and Me, the movie that that our email. Uh, who wrote the email again? Pearson that Pearson wrote uh I do a pretty good job in harmony but it's really the blind squirrel uh running across a nut there let me see about this film Kevin Corrigan's also I think Kevin Corrigan's a comedian now right Pat Healy I recognize him from horror films he's in a great horror film called Cheap Thrills and a really great horror film called The Innkeepers by one of my favorite contemporary horror directors Ty West so I'm looking at this, uh, the premise of Harmony and Me, a physical comedy about yearning. So the credited cast, it says Gabriel McIver is, is the, but uh, the, he, she, she's she got a new name for sure. Okay, now. cool. Um, so back to Harmony and Me, it says, stubbornly embracing his own unhappiness on the heels of a recent breakup, loquacious young songwriter Harmony's, oh boy, this is about a songwriter. I can't wait to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, songwriter Harmony's self-imposed exile into misery serves as a source of irritation to his headstrong mother and a curious source of amusement to his eccentric friends. So what was your experience on this film? I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. You played a small part. You don't think of yourself really as an actor. So what is it about? I'm guessing that these are Austin, Texas film culture people, and you're a part of a fixture of the Austin, Texas music scene, so they bring you into it? I mean, Bob's a friend of mine. I've known him for years. Okay. He's asked me to be in his movies. I always and very hesitant to do it don't want to do it begrudgingly do it uh i always feel awful once i'm there i've been in a couple other movies besides his there's just this thing that happens where as soon as the as soon as the camera's rolling there's just a screaming voice in my head that's just shouting you suck and i'm guessing you don't have anything like that on stage when you're performing your in your world you created or do you? No, not at all. When I'm on stage, I'm like, the king. oh, every, everything you do is fine. Now, I think the greatest actors have that. When they're acting, their thing is like, oh, anything you do is fine. So I'm reading this book by Howard Bloom. I think I mentioned this an episode or two ago. I got it wrong because I'm further into the book. He wasn't a manager. He's a, he's a publicist. And so he did PR for all sorts of crazy shit. A lot of ZZ Top shit, Michael Jackson, Joan Jett, blah, blah, blah. He described songwriting in a way just as a guy who did publicity, he just knows a lot of artists in a way that you and I have talked about songwriting before, which I thought was so spot on. I don't have the ex excerpt, but he basically was like, great songwriters, when they sit down, there is a part of them that thinks I will, they're, when they're looking at a blank page, which you and I have talked about this, where they think there's no way I'm going to be able to write anything down that's good. Like sometimes you feel like you're never going to write a good song again. 
that's an interesting juxtaposition with when you're on stage, you feel like the king because you created this whole world. They're all there to see you. When you're acting, you hear the voice that says you, you suck. But sometimes when you're writing, you feel like it'd be impossible to write another good song. And I wonder why that is. Dude, that's exactly the way I feel now. Now I have to write a song between now and Tuesday. It's Sunday right now. So I have two days to write a song. I feel like there's no way I'm ever going to write another good song. Why is that? Why do we, f- it's, isn't that strange? I'm the same way. Well, but, but I have two, vo- I have the second voice going, you've, you've felt this way before. You always feel this way. And yet you always write a song. So I have the first guy and then I have the second guy. I don't always feel this way. I only feel this way if a few weeks have gone by and I haven't written anything that I'm happy with. Yeah. And I feel like six months has gone by and I haven't written anything that I'm happy with. So now I'm really like, well, I'll just keep writing these stupid rap songs <laughs> and I'll never write another good song. And that's just that's just it for me. Now I'm just going to be a rapper now. And uh, that's a horrible feeling. Now, I felt like that so many times in my life and then I've written a great song. So I know I'm going to write a great song, but that's the way I feel right now. But what impresses me about your hip hop influenced songs, I mean, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Like, I, I see how maybe the more hip hop stuff that you turn in wouldn't register on a, on a 40 dogs level for you. And it doesn't, right? I get that. But those songs aren't easy to write. You write like no, a lot of lyrics. You have super, super easy to write for you. you can, I can write rap songs all day long. Well, let's hear one. Mama knocked some sense into your boy. <laughs> <laughs> that was your last one, right? That last was week. my last one. That was pretty one. good. It is funny. That line came into my head. Mama knocked some sense into your boy. And I'm like, oh, I'm writing that down. Yeah. And then I wrote a rap song with it. I don't know. I'm going to, I'll write something and hopefully it won't be a rap song. But here's what I do know. Whatever it is. It's fine. Yeah. Whatever it is, ain't going to change my life. It ain't going to make it better. It's not going to affect my serenity or overall well-being. So it doesn't really matter. Did you used to feel like it would? I mean, I part of me still thinks that something's going to happen that's going to make me happy. I don't know what that is. Usually I think it's some article of clothing or some... Some it's usually has something to do with shopping. Yeah, like when I got on Amazon, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. Maybe I can crack the code here. Right. Let me switch gears though. Have you seen that David Foster doc on Netflix? David Foster Wallace? No, it's David Foster. He's a producer. Oh no, famous producer produced the Bodyguard soundtrack with Whitney Houston. I will always love you. I mean, as lovely as that was. I don't need a cue for that. I'm a huge fan of that the Bodyguard soundtrack, bro. Okay, well, he produced that. He also produced all the Michael Bublé records. He also produced all the Josh Groban records. And I'm wondering why he, I would want to watch a documentary about that, though. Why? He produced all the Peter Cetera stuff. Yeah, fine. Whatever. It's everything that I hate. Oh, he also produced... Who's the chick from Titanic? Kate Winslet. No, who's the singer? Oh, Celine Dion. <laughs> Celine Dion. He also produced her first record. Dude, it's everything cheesy and glitzy and glossy that I hate about everything. It sounds shitty. Guess how many records he sold. I'm, I mean, if, he, if he's if he got Celine Dion, I mean, I'm going to guess over 100 million. He sold over a half billion records. That's a little more than <laughs> It's a little more than a hundred million. He's been he's been married like five times. He's married to a a, a woman who's he's sixty eight. His wife's in her th- mid thirties. You got to answer my initial question. Why do I want to watch a documentary about this guy? You don't. In fact, 
I only watched it because Steve Poltz told me to watch it. And then after I was done, I was like, man, I wish I wouldn't have watched this. Yeah, it sounds horrible. I was only asking you if you'd seen it because um, Mm -hmm. then we could have talked about it. But I I Mm -hmm. don't recommend watching it. But I do recommend watching the Garth Brooks documentary 100%. It came up in the queue the other day and I almost went into it. But I I haven't really quite gotten over this sort of numbing. I I don't have the desire to watch anything. Dude, watch that because you will be laughing. A lot. You know what movie it occurred to me to watch the other night, and because this happens so rarely now, I just I just followed the hunch and went downstairs and found it. Is the movie? This is so weird. Is the movie Constantine from two thousand five? Not a good movie, by the way. No, dude, that movie's horrible. Dude, let's talk about Eraserhead. I haven't watched it in oh my 30, God. 30 years. Okay, all right. So let me let me set this up real quick because I, I I yeah I can't believe we haven't talked about this yet. So Eraser Eraserhead's Probably my favorite movie of all time. It's definitely my favorite David Lynch movie. There's a huge, big-ass Eraserhead poster in my studio I'm looking at right now. Bob texted me the other night, pretty late to be starting Eraserhead. What was it, like 11.30? Oh, yeah. I'd already gone to sleep and gotten up. Right, right, right. And it's just a picture of one of the stills of... Which, by the way, if you guys haven't seen Eraserhead, it's a it's horrifying, nightmarish. I'm guessing you had to watch something else before you called it a night to just sort of palate cleanse after that movie. Because didn't you send me some like Western you were watching right after that? I can't remember what I was watching afterwards, but I didn't, I, I don't think of that movie as, as I did. It wasn't scary. Uh, it wasn't horrifying. It's just a beautiful movie. And it's so art. It's like art, art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I just love. I love, I love how strange it is. I love the soundtrack, which the soundtrack is mostly just him, uh, recording like machinery or like just machines and just recording it and then just running that in the background the whole time which you just don't ever hear in in movies most of the time they're really trying to get rid of all the noise and then just provide a soundtrack and dialogue and and so when you see a movie where it's just kind of background noise that's been amplified it's so cool such a weird movie. There's well, when I say, yeah, I mean, I'm with you on all that. When I say horrifying or nightmarish or scary, I don't mean traditionally. I don't mean scary like The Exorcist. I mean, it's a slow build mounting dread. I guess dread would be a better thing. And it's super beautiful. It's all black and white. But they're very dreamlike sequence. In fact, most of it is dream dreamlike. Strange things happen. But you're right. The soundtrack is really just the sound of the normal world the elevator whirring it's a lot of like low level humming and buzzing and whirring yeah it's for me it was like looking at a painting it's like a it's like a hour and it's like a 90 minute painting that david lynch made and it's beautiful and there's some amazing shots it just gives you a lot to think about right it asks a lot of questions and it, you know what it really made me want to do is just immediately just make a movie yeah. Like I just was like, oh, I want to make a movie. This looks so cool and fun. Well, the the story is pretty interesting because it's his first movie that he made while he was in art school and halfway through he ran out of money. And so there's like a two year period where he had to quit making the film. And then as soon as he was able to scramble up, scrap up a couple of you know, 10,000 extra dollars, he kind of got everybody back together to finish it. Right. Cause those were in the days where you actually had to shoot on film and get it developed and then edit it with on you know where you're editing pieces of tape and taping it together it's so crazy and think about it too you couldn't see dailies you know you would have to develop what you shot and they would call it date watching the dailies 
right. which now on digital film, not even film, on a digital camera, whatever you shoot, first of all, you can see it as soon as you're shooting it. You can see the light. You can see, you can see if the light's right. Back then, you'd had to trust a cinematographer who understood light, and you wouldn't be able to see what you shot that day until the next day. Man, what's fucked up about David Lynch is that he's one of my favorite directors for sure. Totally. I mean, my favorite David Lynch film by far is is Blue Velvet, without a doubt. But amazing. Eraserhead's great, but he fell in love with that shitty mini DV format, digital video format, and did Empire. What was it? Inland Empire. Inland Empire. And it and, is and, and rabbits. so horrible, unwatchable. Un- and I saw that in the theater, and I was like, "Oh yeah, you." You know, because when you were talking about, oh, he had to stop making Eraserhead, it was like, well, if he had an iPhone, I could make that film today for 500 bucks. But the reason that film looks the way it does, the reason it has the pacing that it does is because it was shot on film. When you're editing on film, you're just like, I'm not going to make a bunch of quick edits. Right, right. Because you got to chop it, then you got to tape it films just were different back then in those days the physical limitations is what ends up deciding the pace for sure you know woody allen too um woody allen is known for what's called master shots do you know what those are very long shots where they don't edit or they don't do uh coverage where if two people are having a conversation there's normally two cameras one on person a one on person b and they do these coverage shots where you see someone reacting to what you're saying blah 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 Woody Allen's really famous for doing these really sort of uh, intricate master shots. Like in Hannah and Her Sisters, there's this one scene where it's like four characters having a meal. And the camera is just one camera circling the table. And there are no edits. So everyone has to not only get their lines right, but get their timing right, get the emotion right. And he's he's sort of known for that because he just conjures these moments and gets these master shots. And he's famously asked, like, why do you do that? And what's your, they think it's some sort of like, you know, Ingmar Bergman type influence. And really his answer is that he's lazy and he wants to be done as soon as possible so he can go to the Knicks game that night. So it's like the limitation of time kind of creates what's cool about it artistically. There's not some big, deep answer. It's like exactly what you're saying about David Lynch. I guarantee you, if you asked him about it, he'd say, well, we were on a budget and we didn't have the time to make a bunch of quick edits. So we had to get these long landscape shots and that just added to the sort of doomy feeling of the movie. Well, we're kind of famous for our master shots on I'm okay, you're okay. <laughs> I'm not okay, you're not okay. What are some of our classics? What's in the um what's in the well, the uh, classics reel? Well, there's that one shot where we had that long ass shot that we never edited. Yeah. And then there was that other one where we had the one where we edited it once and then there was the one where we edited it twice. Speaking of the long shot, we didn't edit. So Doug McLeod writes, Hey, y'all, that's referring to your recent lengthy play on Southern gentlemen conversing. Bless your hearts, but I do declare that was the most committed continuation of a failing endeavor since the siege of Vicksburg. He said it was, oh. the, he said it was the Thunderdome if Tina Turner was Larry the Cable Guy and no one left. It was so funny because you guys just kept going. Thanks for the effort and mostly the sincerity, empathy, and obviously kind hearts. Doug, if I may, if I may be so bold please, as to reference your query, if I may be. Please do. Every once in a while, every once in a great while, every once in, let's say, 
a man's lifetime. Let's say every once in perhaps a generation. Mm. Let me go so far as to say maybe even just one time in the entire history mm. of this here United States of America. Let me even go so far as to say maybe only one time in the entire history of the entire world. Mm, please. Every once in a while, maybe, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to I am. I do believe you're stuck. I do believe we should unhinge no, no, you no, no, from no. this stuck place. I must say, at this point right now, what I am doing is I am widening the part of the, the part of my neck where the words <laughs> arise out of the lung area. I believe you have a bit of a you have a bit of a bottleneck issue with all the words rising up in your throat. What I'm about to say right now. Mm. If I were to just say it without widening the neck area, I do believe that I may, could possibly asphyxiate myself. I do declare. On the consonants and syllables in what I'm about to say. And even though those consonants and syllables are just made out of air, <laughs> just air itself. But what I am about to say is so concrete in nature that I do believe I might have myself a serious predicament. So excuse me for one moment. It will solidify in the air, I believe. Excuse me for one, just even three or four seconds while I take your time. Widen my throat area. There it is widened. And now I may proceed. Please. And let me say, maybe only once in the billion or so years since the beginning of all time, can I say this and this alone? Thank you. 